As we come to our teaching time today in worship, it's, it's really a serious matter for me to open God's word with you today, dear brothers and sisters. Um, it's not something I take lightly. I intend earnestly and I expect earnestly to rightly divide the word of truth. And I also, with earnest intent, want to direct your attention, your adoration, your worship to the only one deserving of such adoration, attention, and worship, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. May he be magnified, and may God be glorified as we worship through the word this morning. All right, our text for today is Romans 3.24, and we're really just going to focus on a very small portion uh, of, that, of that verse, and, and, and really we're going to focus on the, per, the portion that says, Christ is our redemption. Christ is our redemption. So if you would, turn to Romans 3, turn with me to Romans 3, and uh, uh, I, I should introduce myself. My name is John Swedberg. Uh, my wife and I, Karen, uh, my wife Karen and I are members here. We've been members now for a couple years, a couple years. Um, before that, we attended regularly on Sunday nights, um, um, but we've been members here. We have three kids, uh, Ryan and Ellie, uh, back in Indiana. Ryan's a youth pastor. Ryan and Ellie are expecting their first child. Our first grandchild due date is tomorrow, so we are hopeful. Um, Tyler is our second boy. He's at Master's College right now, um, finishing up his degree in biblical exposition. He is getting married on December 10th. And we also have Emily, who is our, our daughter in high school and, and, and with us. Okay. All right. So now you know me. All right. Let's, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I first want to say, we're going to talk about redemption. The title of, of my sermon today is Jesus, Our Redeemer. And we're going to talk about redemption. But the fact is, we're only going to scratch the surface on what redemption is. I mean, I've got 45 minutes to an hour. What can I say about redemption in that amount of time? Okay, we're only going to scratch the surface. But, but my prayer is, and my hope is that it's going to be a blessing to all of us, even if we're just scratching the surface. Because scratching the surface of redemption will yield blessing to us. And we're going to look at his redemption in three parts. It's in your bulletin. It's the need for redemption the meaning of redemption, and the love of redemption. So if you had a chance, and if you've gotten to Romans 3, we're going to start uh, at verse 21. We're going to start at verse 21, and we're going to go through verse uh, 26, okay? Romans 3, 21. But now the righteous, righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, 
so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, this morning, we as redeemed sinners are always in danger of merely going through the motions of religion, of showing up here to our worship service because it is just something we do, of singing hymns without true heart worship, of reading and hearing your word without true heart worship. But Father, we have no desire to come to your word today with only our physical presence in this building. We have no desire to not engage our minds and to not engage our hearts and to not engage our souls and to not engage all of our strength in true worship. So Father, strengthen our feeble hearts, strengthen our feeble minds so that we may truly encounter you today in true heart worship. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray that you would strengthen us so that we may encounter you as the true and living God. Strengthen us so that we encounter you in our innermost being, in a direct way, in the deepest recesses of our hearts. Indeed, we want to encounter you in a way which you are revealed to us by your spirit through your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who leads and guides us as we study. May your word be handled accurately today, rightly presented, so that it edifies, equips, encourages, and enables us to live for you. Father, as we dive into your word this morning, renew our hearts, revive our souls, refresh our love for your Son, and restore to us the joy of your salvation. I earnestly ask that your word, which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, will work in our hearts and cause us to leave here changed, leave here to be more like Christ. So I ask for your blessing. I ask that Jesus would be magnified and, Father, you glorified in our time in the word today. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen. Have you ever been afraid of death? Have you ever been in fear of dying? Perhaps you may remember laying awake at night, in the middle and the still of the night, and not knowing what would happen to you if you were to die that very night. Or perhaps it was getting on an airplane for the first time and wondering, will I survive the journey? Can you hearken back to a time before your regeneration when you did not know what would become of your soul for eternity? Fact may be, maybe some of you are here today and still in that position. You do not know what will become of your soul for eternity 
when you die. So maybe now, even now, you are afraid of death. Even now, you may have a fear of dying. Maybe you are still in your sins and unsure of your eternal destiny. And absent Christ returning during our lifetime, we will all, everyone here today in this building, will die. Does that cause you to worry or be anxious? Does that frighten you? Does that terrify you? If you have not been regenerated and turned in repentance and faith to Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, you should worry. You should be anxious. In fact, you should be frightened and you should be terrified. You see, it's something common to all of us. All of us at one point in time were in need of redemption. Or if you're here today and not a believer, you are still in need of redemption. And that begs the question for believers. And it's the first point in my, in my outline. And that is, why as believers did we in the past have a need for redemption? And it begs the question for unbelievers, if you're here in an unbeliever, why do you now have a need to be redeemed? The need for redemption. The need for redemption is universal for all people. Why? Why? Well, let's examine the context of our scripture passage for today. And our scripture passage, we're going to focus on Romans 3.24. But obviously, that's within the book of Romans, right? Paul wrote the book of Romans. He wrote it. He had never even visited the church in Rome, but he wrote a book to them. He was writing them because he needed to provide them with instruction for godly living, and he provided them with rich doctrine. And we are the benefit of that letter today. And basically, when you look at the book, the first two and a half chapters, he's, he's talking about um, the need, or he's talking about our need for righteousness. He's talking about the fact that people are unrighteous. And then you get to the middle of chapter 3, and he switches, and he switches, okay? And, and that's where we're going to be today, where we're going to be talking about the fact that he's directed our attention to the treatment, to the cure, to the solution for our unrighteousness. He begins explaining to us the provision of God's righteousness on our behalf. But before we get to the cure, we need to examine the disease. Before we get to the treatment, we need to know the infirmity. Before we get to the solution, we need to understand the problem. And here's the problem of the unbeliever. Because of unrighteousness, Unbelievers are slaves to sin. Because of hearts of stone, unbelievers are dead in trespasses and sins. Because of sin, unbelievers are doomed to eternal damnation. Jesus said it this way to the Pharisees in John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. Truly, truly. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, pay attention. Listen up. Hear me. You who practice sin, you 
who are sinners. You are a slave to sin and unrighteousness. You are bound to this world and not to me. And Paul, in the first two chapters of Romans, clearly presents the state of man in the world. Let's look at Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What's Paul saying? He's saying man's state of ungodliness and unrighteousness is of their own doing as man himself extinguishes the truth. And because of that, the wrath of God his righteous, his holy, his justified judgment is and will constantly be revealed against sinners. There is no escaping his wrath. Jump ahead a chapter. Go to Romans 2, verse 5. But because of your hard and penitent heart, you are storing up, for, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Paul says here, because of your spiritual hardness, literally what he's saying here is the hardening of your spiritual arteries. You have arterial sclerosis of your spiritual arteries and a refusal to repent. Because of that, God's holy and pure anger is your destiny. And once again, the responsibility is on man. You, man, are storing up wrath for yourself. Now turn ahead one more chapter. Go to Romans 3. Go to Romans 3. You should already be there. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. Paul writes, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous no, not one. Paul is clear, isn't he? Isn't Paul clear? He pulls no punches. He makes no mistakes. We are all in the same boat before regeneration. Everyone is afflicted with a depraved heart. Everyone is under the weight and burden of sin. No one is left unaffected. All. Everyone. Every single person is depraved. All. Everyone. Every single person on this earth, earth is in a fallen state. So here's the disease. Here's our infirmity. Here's our problem. Such unrighteousness leaves everyone in need of God's righteousness and in need of redemption. We have a serious need for redemption. In fact, the need for redemption is universal for all people. How do we get out from under the guilt, from under the burden, from under the power of sin? How do we overcome our own depravity? Let's head back and look at verse 24, our verse for today. But yeah, let's, let's start at 21. Let's start at 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 21, what's Paul saying? He's saying that the righteousness of God is now made known to man. And he follows that up with verse 22, where he says, this righteousness is not only made known to man, but it is available to all who believe. And he follows that up with verse 23, where he says, this righteousness is necessary. Why? Because all at one time were sinners and in need of his righteousness. So the question becomes then, how is this righteousness made available to sinners? And that's where we come now to our, the heart of our text, verse 24. Because verse 24 tells us, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are justified. The idea of justification is a legal declaration. Justification or being justified is not related to our emotions. It's not related to what I've done. It's not related to a deed I'm going to do. It's not related to who I am. It's not related to my merit. It's a legal declaration, and it is God himself offering that legal declaration that you, me, once a sinner, but now a saved person, are righteous in his eyes. We are now positionally sanctified. We are not made righteous. Okay? If we were made righteous, from that point on, we'd be sinless. We are not made righteous. We are declared righteous. And because of being declared righteous, we are righteous in God's sight. And then as we live out our lives as believers, we go through the process of progressive sanctification before finally someday, amen, we'll be glorified. The sanctification process is the working out, the laboring, the striving of our salvation in fear and trembling, empowered by the Holy Spirit. As Dom shared last Sunday, it's God working in us for his good pleasure, but it's us living in obedience to God's word. And think of this. If you have been justified, then you will be sanctified. And if you have been sanctified, then you will be glorified, meaning someday we will be home with our God and with our Lord and with the Holy Spirit. God does not lose any of his own. If you have been justified, you will be sanctified and you will be glorified. On the other hand, if one claims to have been justified, but lives a life of disobedience, a life of habitual sin, a life of disregard for God's word, then I would urge that person to carefully consider, to seriously examine their life, to see if they are actually in the faith. True faith will be evidenced by good works and a life of obedience. 
All right, so let's get back to verse 24. We are justified by his grace as a gift. Okay, so we've been, de- we've been justified, we've been declared righteous. Then the next part is by his grace as a gift. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's something done for us in which we have nothing good to do to deserve it. We've done nothing to deserve his unmerited favor. So our justification, we are justified, and our justification is given to us by his grace, by his unmerited favor, and is given to believers as a gift. We are freely given the gracious gift of justification, of being declared righteous, even though we do not deserve such gift. And how is this gracious gift of justification accomplished? Look at the the remainder of the verse. Look at what Paul says. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to the second point of my outline today. And that is, what is the meaning of redemption? What is the meaning of redemption? We've talked about the need for redemption. Now what does it mean that we're redeemed? The New Testament uses a couple of different root words to convey the idea and meaning of redemption. The basic meaning of one root word, and that root word is agora, it means marketplace. The second uh, root word is luo, and that word basically means to loose, or set free, or to deliver. So let's look at the concept of the first word, marketplace in regard to redemption. Here, the idea is really to purchase out of the market. Okay? And, and, and meaning it's, it's not just something you go to purchase. That, that's part of it is it's a purchase in the marketplace, but then even an extension of that and even a more complex understanding of, of, the, of the Greek word means it's a, it's a purchase out of the marketplace. In, in biblical times, it referred to the act of someone purchasing a slave out of the slave marketplace. It's a payment of a price to purchase the slave from another. So that's one way to look at the meaning of redemption, as a payment, okay? The other basic meaning of redemption is to set loose or to set free or to deliver. And a related idea or meaning built upon that root word means a deliverance by payment of a ransom. Okay, so when you build a compound Greek word, it, not, it, becomes, it becomes broader, more fuller than just deliverance. It becomes deliverance by payment of a, of a ransom. Another way to say it, it's a release upon receipt of a payment of ransom. So the second way we look at redemption is as a deliverance. Additionally, one one quick point, sometimes the original word uh, used in Scripture for redemption is also translated ransom, okay? So it's, it's, it's just translated ransom. And that word really captures both ideas of payment and deliverance. So the concept of redemption, the concept of being redeemed, the concept concept of ransom, the concept of being ransomed, is related to two basic understandings. One, of payment, the idea of a payment, 
and two, of deliverance, the idea of a deliverance or being delivered. So let's develop our understanding, okay? And our, our understanding of the meaning of redemption by asking ourselves some questions. One, what is the cost of redemption? What is the cost of redemption? Two, to whom is the redemption payment made? To whom is the redemption payment made? Number three, who is bought with the redemption payment? Who is bought or purchased with the redemption payment? And number four, redemption is deliverance from what? Redemption is deliverance from what? All right, let's start with what is the cost of redemption. Let's look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The cost of redemption is the blood of Christ. Revelation 5, 9 says, By the blood, and that is the blood of the lamb, the spotless lamb, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This spotless lamb is worthy of worship, and by his blood, people are redeemed to salvation. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's another aspect to the cost of redemption? It is the sinless Christ becoming sin for us. This is known as the great exchange. The sinless Son of God, willingly, obediently, becoming sin for us so that in him we can be, be declared righteous. We can be acceptable in the eyes of God. So the cost of redemption is the blood of Christ. The cost of redemption is Christ becoming sin for us. Now let's look at Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And Isaiah is talking about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. The cost of redemption is the suffering and death of Jesus Christ on Calvary. And this cost includes Jesus the Son being abandoned by God the Father when Christ cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sinless Christ separated from the Father because of our transgressions and because of our iniquities. The cost of redemption is the suffering and death of Jesus. To whom is the redemption payment made? Point two, to whom is the redemption payment made? And if we look back over church history, you can read about a guy that lived uh, around 200, 200 AD. His name was Origen. He's one of our early church fathers. And at the fall of Adam, he tells us, Origen tells us, 
Satan obtained ownership over mankind, and therefore, in order to free mankind from Satan's hold over them and their destiny in hell, God has made payment of Christ's blood to the devil himself. No, that is not true. That may be what Origen Origen believed, but that's not biblical. While Satan does have some authority and control over the world, that authority, that control, was given to him by God. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Satan has no autonomy to do anything that God does not permit him to do for God's infinitely wise purposes. In fact, if you remember the book of Job, when Satan afflicted Job, Satan had to obtain permission from God to do so. All of Satan's acts of opposition to God, all of Satan's acts of opposition to God's people are part of God's plan, not Satan's plan. Even as God gives Satan permission to exercise tremendous power in this world. Okay? So, I just want to be clear. Satan is not holding a pitchfork, roaming the halls, and in charge of hell. No, Satan will spend eternity in hell as an inmate, the prisoner of prisoners, the captive of captives, captives, and Satan was not paid the ransom of the blood of Christ. So to whom is the payment made? The payment was made to God himself. God put in, plan, the, put in place the plan whereby the ransom is paid to himself in order to satisfy his justice. 1 John 2, 2, Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. That is the propitiation, the satisfactory payment. And this payment, this satisfactory payment, is made to God the Father. Listen, hear this. Our just God requires a proper redemption payment for sin. He cannot just sweep our sin and the penalty for our sin under the rug. He can't just disregard it. He can't just look the other way, because if he did so, he would no longer be just. He would no longer be holy. The very character of God requires full payment of our sin debt. And that payment is the blood of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, and it is a ransom payment made to God the Father. So what is the cost of our redemption? It's the blood of Christ. It's Christ becoming sin for us. It's him suffering and dying on the cross. To whom is the redemption payment made? It's made to God the Father. Now, point three, who is bought with the redemption payment? Who is bought with the redemption payment? For that, let's look at Galatians. First, we'll look at Galatians 3.13. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, 
so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Paul is writing that Christ paid the price and that the payment was made to remove us from the curse of the law. We are no longer, no longer under the law. We are no longer burdened by the curse of the law, but we are now adopted as sons of God. So who is bought? Who is redeemed? Us. Us who are the children of God. Those who are no longer under sin. We are the ones purchased by God's blood. For us who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, it cannot get any better. We are redeemed. Christ's blood is our ransom payment, and this ransom payment results in deliverance, a setting free. And that brings me to the next point. What are we delivered from? What is our redemption delivering us from? First, our redemption delivers us from the guilt of sin. We are delivered from the guilt of sin. No longer are we guilty in God's eyes. Rather, we are cleansed, we are washed, we are justified and declared righteous. Formerly slaves to sin, we have now been loosed. We've been set free by Jesus, our Redeemer. Redemption also delivers us from the power of sin. When we are delivered from the power of sin, we live a life of progressive sanctification. When we are redeemed from the power of sin, God works in us to accomplish his good pleasure. What else are we redeemed from? We are redeemed from the presence of sin. When we are no longer on this earth, Christ's redemption of us delivers us from the presence of sin and into his presence. And we will spend eternity with God absent from any presence of sin. Redemption is also deliverance from the domain of darkness. No longer do we walk in darkness. No longer do we love the darkness because our e deeds are evil. Instead, we have been delivered from such darkness and have been transferred to the kingdom of his son. We're also delivered from this present evil age. No longer do we need to be ruled by the world system that is under the control of Satan. His redemption delivers us from the snares of Satan. And we can now understand the world from a godly perspective. We're also redeemed from the judgment and the wrath of God to come. No longer do we need to fear dying. No longer do we need to fear the judgment and the wrath of a holy God. As redeemed people, we are delivered from judgment day and from eternal torment. Are we not blessed to be redeemed? Are we not blessed to be ransomed by the blood of Christ? Are we not blessed to receive deliverance because of the payment made to the Father by Christ on the cross? Let's turn our attention to the third point in your outline, and that's the love of redemption. The love of redemption. Redemption through Christ Jesus is centered on God's love for us. First, we want to look at what kind of love does God have for us? What kind of love does God have for us? 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. 
This is agape love. It encompasses God's faithfulness. It encompasses his commitment to us. It encompasses his willful delight in the object of his love. And we, his elect, are the object of his love. He loves us so much that we are now his children. How do we know God loves us? How do we know God loves us? Turn to, turn to 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest, made known to us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love is made known to us by Christ coming into the world and being the satisfactory payment for our sins. Let's go to a familiar verse, Romans 5.8. When did God love us? When did God love us? But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, he loved us and redeemed us by sending Christ to die for us. He didn't wait for us to choose him, but he loved us when we were sinners. God didn't wait on us. He initiated his love story with us. And I ask again, when did God love us? Let's look at Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will. He loved us when he predestined us for salvation before the foundation of the world. Again, God acts alone. Anybody here around before the foundation of the world? I don't think so, right? And yet, before the foundation of the world, we were predestined in love for salvation. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans 8. Let's go to Romans 8. And let's take one final look at his great love for us. Let's start with verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who is the we? Who is the us? Who's Paul talking about? Let's back up to verse 28. Back up to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, and this is the effectual calling of those who have been elected by God before the foundation of the world. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, that is, those whom God chose to set his love and affection upon. That's what foreknowledge means. God setting, choosing to set his love and affection upon us. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. That is declared righteous. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now back to verse 21. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who is the we? Who is the us? We now know that Paul is talking about, we now know that he is referring to us. It's referring to those who have been elected, those who have been called, those who have been chosen, those who have been foreknown, predestined, justified, and ultimately glorified. It is for those whom Christ has actually sacrificed his blood, actually sacrificed his body, actually sacrificed his life, not just potentially sacrificed. That's who he's talking about when Paul says, we and us. So if you're a regenerated believer here today, Paul is speaking to you. God, through the Holy Spirit, working through Paul, is speaking to you today. So listen to this. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God, with the great love with which he loved us, willingly gave his son for us, for us as believers, for our sins, if he delivered his son as a ransom payment for our sins, if God's plan of redemption is for the blood of Christ to deliver us from sin, how will he not also give us all we need for life and godliness? Does not the death of his own son which God planned before the foundation of the world, demonstrate that God will also give all things to those who belong to him. Ask yourself this. Is the Bible true? Did Christ die for our sins? And if you answer yes to those questions, then ask yourself this question. If God has given us the greater gift of his Son, Will he not also fulfill the lesser gift of giving us all things needed for life and godliness? Yes, he will. Amen. Yes, he will. Let's continue. Verse 33. This is, this is just such good stuff about God's love for us. Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is interceding for us? He always lives to intercede for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? None. None of that will separate us from the love of Christ. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate us 
from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the love of redemption. We are the redeemed. Jesus, our Redeemer, died for us. It is a love gift from God to give his son, and it is a love gift from Jesus to give his life. This is the love of redemption. We've talked about the need for redemption. We've talked about the meaning of redemption. We've talked about the love of redemption. We heard sung, rejoice in our Redeemer, greatest treasure, the wellspring of our soul. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Lots of application, lots of application. You probably have your own personal application. Let me throw some out there. First is redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Make the joy of redemption known to all. Make it known to those here in the body. Make it known to our family, to our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Redeemed, we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let us gratefully, humbly, obediently walk in those good works which have been prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Redeemed. What happens when a person is redeemed? They're delivered. They're justified. They're declared righteous. They're cleansed from sin, but also delivered. Delivered from the bondage of sin. Delivered from the guilt of sin. Delivered from, ultimately, the presence of sin. So live free from the guilt and the power of sin. If you have been justified, then live like it. Live free from the guilt and power of sin and live in anticipation of the freedom that will come from the presence of sin when we are united with Christ. Redeemed, are you? Have you experienced redemption? Do you know Jesus, our Redeemer, in an intimate way? in a powerful way, in a personal way? If so, it should move you to true worship. We should not be coming here on Sundays and just going through the motions of religion. If so, it should move you to truly magnify Jesus, to truly exist, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if it doesn't motivate you to do so, I've got to urge you, examine your life. Examine your life to see if you are in the faith. Because to be unmoved spiritually by Jesus, our Redeemer. To be unmotivated by Jesus, our Redeemer. To be unaffected by Jesus, our Redeemer. Is an indication of a heart of stone. A heart of unbelief. A heart that will spend eternity in hell. Let's pray. Father, there is but one mediator between you and us, and it is Jesus, our Redeemer. And it was for the purpose of redemption that out of your great love for us, you sent to him to earth. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all who will believe. He gave his life. He gave his blood as payment to redeem us 
from our sins. And so we graciously, Father, receive the gift of being declared righteous. May we live in obedience to such gracious gift of your love. We just ask for your power and your strength that enables us to do so. And we pray this in the matchless, wonderful, marvelous name of Jesus, our Redeemer.